Well, good to see everyone. Welcome to church. I'm so excited about being at church. Are you excited about being at church? Put your hands together if you're just excited. Welcome those of you who are online watching. Thank you so much for watching online. I, I, I just feel like God's going to move in a special way, guys. That's where I'm at. I just want you to know that. I came expecting and I sense his spirit already stirring my heart. It always feels good when I feel like the Lord is stirring my heart and speaking to me before I even step on the stage. And I just want you to know that's what's happened to me. Uh, God has been speaking to me this week about a lot of different things, and I sense his presence and his assurance. I sense his Holy Spirit on me. So I just know God is going to speak to you in a special way. So I don't know what you came to church expecting to experience or hear, but God wants to change your heart. God wants to put you in a new trajectory. God wants to do something in your life that you haven't even dreamed of. All right? Will you receive that? I'm just, that's just where I'm at. I want you to know that. Um, I, uh, I want to pray first. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for, um, oh, so much, God. We owe everything to you. We owe everything to you, Jesus. You're our, our, our bright and morning star, our, our suffering servant. You're um, our Messiah, our anointed one, our redeemer, our mediator, our advocate. And we love you. Jesus, take a hold of me. Uh, free me from any distractions. And, and I pray for those who are watching online right now. I pray that you move in them and give them an encouraging word that gives them a new perspective on life. And likewise, move uh, here in the house. Everybody who's here in the house, Lord, would you just stir every heart. And I, I surrender right now to your Holy Spirit as always, but especially to this preaching ministry. I, I just desire to be your your, your voice, Lord, that's my desire, to be a clean vessel for you, used for special purposes for your kingdom. And that's the desire of my heart, Lord. You know, I've, I've done my best this week to manage this vessel. And, and now, Lord, by your grace, I pray that you, you anoint this message, Lord. And would you move in every heart here, Lord, move in the heart of the Christian who's heard 10,000 sermons and feels like they can preach a better message than me. Maybe they can. I pray that you speak to them. Move in the heart of the person who's seen a whole bunch of churches. Would you move in their heart? Move in the heart of the person who just feels really far from you, God. Would you move in that heart, Lord? Would you move in the heart of that person who's just heavy-hearted right now, weighed down with anxiety and worry and stress? Would you minister and give them peace? Help us to see you um, through your word. And um, Holy Spirit, you're in charge. You're in charge, as always. It's in your name we pray. Amen felt like I was preaching during my sermon. Hey, uh, this weekend is um, Super Bowl. Um, how about them Broncos? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, right? Next year. Uh, you know what we should do is we should just go out and recruit Tom Brady because that's kind of the MO, isn't it? You know, we, we get someone who's right... Well, that's kind of a low blow, isn't it, right? He's got a little tread on, do the whole Peyton Manning thing with Tom Brady. All right, I'll move on. This is some, I got more important stuff to talk about, but I want to show you this picture first. Uh, look at this picture right here, and I put a caption. Uh, the, this picture is actually, this is just taken on January 15, 2022. Uh, I, I put this, imagine what the world would look like if Christians were this committed to attending church. Let that sit in just for a little bit. Swallow that big fat pill. Well, imagine 
what the world would look like if Christians were this committed, hello, to attending church. You guys drove in snow to come to church. It's already almost melted, I know. But um, this is an actual game that took place on January 15, 2022. Um, thank God you don't live in Buffalo, New York. That's where it was. And they were playing the Patriots. They won 47-17, incidentally. But that's commitment, isn't it? That's commitment, sitting there with the snow piling on you, and you're going to cheer, and you're going to boo, and you're going to do all that. I mean, imagine what this world would look like if Christians were the followers of Christ. Those of you who say, I'm a Christian, those of you who say, I'm a follower of Christ, those of you who consider yourself a good, God-fearing man or woman, imagine what the world would look like if you had that kind of commitment to attending church. Wow. I, I, we're looking in, in the Gospel of Mark, and, and today the series title is, which, which Disciple Are You? And we're going to be looking at the disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm blown away by these disciples. I'll just tell you that. I'm just blown away. But I want to lead up to it a little bit because chapter, chapter 3 of Mark and uh, how many of you read Mark chapter 3 this last week? Raise your hand if you didn't. And if you, if you did read it, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you did not read it, we want you to stand up here and we want it. No, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, but uh, I hope, I want to encourage you to read it, uh, um, chapter 3. Next week, I'm going to be preaching out of Mark chapter 4. So read chapter 4 sometime during the week. But chapter 3, there's like four different stories that happens, but in the middle of it, um, Jesus lists the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, of his disciples. So, but we're going to start uh, the first section of, of Mark. Um, it starts off with this, um, you know, it's, it's just Mark, the way he moves around. He heals, he does like a miracle on the Sabbath and people don't like it, big surprise. And uh, verse six says that once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of, of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So this is in chapter three, you read Jesus becomes like a wanted man and, and someone wants to murder him. They, they, they have, there's a plot that's starting and they don't like his influence. They're threatened by him. He, he, uh, dis, he, he dishonors the Sabbath, so they think, and he's getting a big crowd following him and, and people just don't, don't like it. But yet you see this incredible laser focus mission of Jesus. He's like on his way to Jerusalem, which is where the cross is, and he's going to be teaching and he's going to be, he's going to be gathering followers and he's going to be performing miracles and he's like on the way to the cross he's going to be teaching people about who God is and then in chapter 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 verse 7 there's this whole crowd that starts following him in fact it says Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him they came from all over Galilee Judea Jerusalem Idumea from east of the Jordan River and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon the news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him so like he has a bunch of people following him. Now, they all have agenda. They, they want to experience a miracle, and, and I think we're pretty self-centered creatures. Um, that's the way we are, and these guys are no different, and they want to experience a miracle from Jesus. I've got this aching body. I've got this virus. I've got this illness, whatever. My cousin needs this, my, my daughter, and they're coming to Jesus, and the crowd is so big that Jesus actually tells his disciples, put me on the boat and push me off because this crowd's going to crush me. So he has these people that are trying to kill him, murder him. He has this huge crowd that's following him. So what does he do? Well, verse 13 says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go, that he wanted to go with him. Here he goes. 
And they came to him. Then he appointed 12. Say 12 with me. 12. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his, what church called them what? His apostles. They were to accompany him and, and he would send them out to preach. Giving them authority to cast out demons. I, I, I want to stop right here. You, you see the pressure that Jesus is under. Sometimes we think yeah, we have a bad day. I mean, I, mean I, I don't know how many people are trying to kill you, literally. Very few to none, my guess. Jesus is on the hit list. Crowd is coming over him. He has opposition. So what does he do? I'm going to assemble a team and they're going to carry on this gospel. So in the midst of it, in the midst of labor, it's like he does not allow other people to determine his agenda. He does not allow those who oppose him to determine who he is or what his father has called him to do or what he's been sent to do. It's a message for us. It's a message for us. You know, true leaders are laser focused on what God has called them to do. Laser focused. And he gets these, these, these 12, and, and, and he, he sends them out to preach, and he gives them authority to cast out demons. And verse 16, these are the 12 he chose, and this is one of the few places you read about all 12. So here they are. Simon, whom he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So who were these 12 disciples? Who were these guys? Who were these guys? Um, they were 12 men who said yes. Let's just start with that. They were 12 men who said, yes, that's all they said. They were 12 Jews, Hebrews. They were uneducated, ordinary, unrefined. They were the commonest of the common. They left their families to follow Jesus. Some left family businesses to follow him. Many of them grew up in rural areas, farmers and fishermen, and they were the most dedicated. In fact, they were friends. You know, you become friends with those people that sacrifice with you, don't you? You become friends with those people who say, I'll take that hill with you. You become friends. Those become really, 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 really close. Max Lucado said it like this. We need to remember that the first disciples were ordinary men called to an extraordinary mission. Sometimes we look at these disciples and we think, well, they just happen to have, like they're all losers and they have no life and they're all available and they failed at everything else and that's why they were available and that's why they followed Jesus because they have nothing else going on. Not true. They were like you and me and maybe more like you and me than, than we, we realize. Uh, but these were guys who the Bible says they, that God used them to turn the world upside down. These 12 and incidentally, the number 12 does not reflect uh, Tom Brady at all. It's uh, 
the number 12 has a clear redemptive and historical significance. It represents the 12 tribes of Israel. It represents the, 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 the foundation stones of the Christian church. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 talks about these disciples. It says the wall of the city, this is the new Jerusalem. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. So in chapter 21 of Revelation, you hear that the, the apostles They've got their own foundation stones in the New Jerusalem, and their names are on them. What's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? It's important for us to know. An apostle is a messenger. An apostle is a messenger. I'll put that up, um, Ezra. I want to make sure we see it. Apostle is a messenger. It's someone who is sent out for a mission. That's an apostle, but a discipler is a learner or a student. And that's the difference between the two. That's why you see that name interchanged throughout Scripture. They were disciples and they were apostles. And, and of course, you read about the apostle Paul, uh, who is not listed. He's not one, of the, not one of the disciples. Here's their mission. Mark chapter 6 talks about their mission. It says, and, he, and he called the, his 12 disciples together and began sending them out um, two by two. Say that with me, two by two, two by two. That's really important because if you, if you um, sometimes we're down and we need someone else to pick us up right? Sometimes you're discouraged or you're in a funk or you're in a dark place, you're in a weird place, you're in a weird mood, whatever it is, and you need someone to pick you up. And Jesus sends them out two by two. They're about to go to war, spiritual battle, spiritual war. And he says, you can't, you can't do this on your own. Every Christian needs someone, not your spouse. Your spouse is super important, but every Christian needs someone who shares the same visions, shares the same passion for Jesus, and is willing to walk with you through difficult times. He sends them out two by two, not alone, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. That's crazy. You know, Christians still have authority to cast out evil spirits in the name of Jesus Christ. You know when, when, you, you know when your prayers weigh most? When you're living a righteous life. If you're not living a righteous life, if you're not living a righteous life, God wants you to repent and turn to him and get right with him. But if you're living a righteous life, your prayers have weight to them. Your prayers have weight to them. Verse 8 says, he told them to take nothing for their, for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, and no money. Why do you think he did that? I think God loves it when we depend on him. I think God loves it when we choose to rely on him and depend on him and trust him. And sometimes I believe the Lord puts us in situations because we've been depending on the wrong things and the wrong people and he wants us to depend on him. Sometimes God leads us to places where he strips everything away from us because he wants us to turn to him. (coughs) Verse 8 says that uh, they didn't have anything and no money or anything. Like that. Verse 9 says he allowed them to, uh, to wear sandals. Not interesting. He allowed them to wear sandals, like don't go barefoot, but not to take a change of clothes. Do you see the faith that he's calling them out to? Do you see the faith? He's allowing them to take sandals, but not a change of clothes. This is hard. I know someone, anybody like that when you, when you go on a trip and you look at the weather where you're going, 
And uh, you're like, okay, yeah, do I need a jacket? Do I need to throw in a jacket? Do I need a good pair of shoes? Am I going to do a lot of walking? Do I need to take a pair of tennis shoes or something like that? Is it going to rain? Do I need to take a rain jacket? You know, for me, I've got like 20 jackets, and I'm always thinking, like, which jacket? What do I need for what temperature? It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Anyway, so, uh, but, but here, Jesus is like saying, no, no, no. I can only imagine him telling me, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. Don't take your suitcase. You know what? Don't even take a carry-on. Just, just go. All you need is a pair of shoes and some jeans and a t-shirt. If you want a walking stick, you can take one. But that's all you need. Trust me. Do you know God is calling you to trust him? There's no other way around knowing God. You need trust. You need to have faith. You need to trust him. And if, you have, if, you're, if you're that person that says, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you'll never know that life that God has for you. If you need to know all of the answers, if you need to have all the boxes checked off and you can't move until this is known and this is known and this is known and this is known, God is calling you to trust him. God is calling you to walk by faith and not by sight. And he says, you can take sandals, but don't take a change of clothes. Then he says, wherever you go, he says, stay in the house until you leave town. But if any place, I mean, look at the faith involved with that, guys. The faith involved of going to a house. I can only imagine the disciples showing up and saying, like, yeah, I'm going to be sleeping with you tonight. You got a guest room for me. I'll be there. How long are you going to be there? Well, until I need to leave. That's when I'm going to leave, you know. (laughs) That's how long I'm going to be at your house. I need to just try this out and during the week call one of you and say, I need to spend a night at your house. Maybe, maybe my, my wife and I will just, we'll just go together or something like that. We like breakfast in the mornings, just so you know that. That's important. Some orange juice is good, just a heads up. Over easy is typically how I like my eggs. Anyway, verse 10 says, wherever you go, he says, stay in the house, same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake it off. Shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Wow. So Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, if, if, if somebody resists you or if they're hard-hearted and, and they're not open to this message, if they're not welcoming this message, you just need to shake off your, your feet. Get a close-up of my feet here. If you can get a close-up of my feet. Shake off. Here, make sure you get really close. You see that? I shake, shake it off and keep going because their fate is on their own heads now. You did your job. Your job was to bring the good news, and everyone has a responsibility. There's a whole message here. Everyone has a responsibility of what to do with that word. We're going to talk about that next week, really. To show them that you've abandoned those people to their fate. Verse, verse 12 says, So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. Sounds like a rerun, doesn't it? Like John the Baptist, that was his message. And Jesus started, that was his message. And now the disciples are saying the same thing. Repent of your sins and turn to God. And this is what's the most important thing for all of humanity. This is the most important thing for you to do in your life. Repent of your sins and turn to God. This is the most important message you can hear today. This is the most important message you could hear online. Repent of your sins 
and turn to God. No, you don't understand. Repent of your sins. Say it out loud with me. Repent of your sins and turn to God. One more time. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Turn to the person next to, the, next to you and tell them, repent of your sins and turn to God. That's the message that's repeated over and over and over. Type it out in the chat room. Repent of your sins and turn to God. And verse 13 says, and they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Isn't that so cool? This is, they just left and kicked butt and took names. I mean, that's all they did. I mean, it's just beautiful. They just cast out demons, healed many sick people, anointed them with olive oil, and that's what they did. You know, sometimes, uh, let me just say it like this. I think as I look at these disciples and a little bit about them, I believe God has put something in all of us. He's put in all of us a desire to know our creator, to know God. That's why you're here at church. There's something inside of you that's like, I, I want to know God. That's why you're watching online. But I think there's something else God has put inside of us. And I think it's a desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. I think we're strangely attracted to something bigger than ourselves. It's like when you go to the zoo, I want to see the gorilla and I want to see the elephant. I want to see the lion. You know, I want to see the things that are stronger than me. And I think there's something inside of us that, that there's this desire for us to know God, but also to, to do something and be part of something that's bigger than me. Don't you want to be part of something bigger than you? And that's what these disciples are doing. Let's look at these disciples. Let's just walk through these guys, guys. Uh, uh, Simon, let's start off with him. Um, this is a famous verse related to Simon. Um, Jesus says, I will say, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Simon Peter is the apostle with which the church was built on. And you read about that in Acts chapter two. And, and his name is Petros, which means a rock like man. That's what Jesus renames him. He names him, you're going to meet Peter, a rock like man. Uh, one commentator said, Peter's character is a descriptive of a rock like man, dependable, immovable, equal to the emergencies and crisis that confront him. And that's it. We know he was the older of the two brothers and he's the only married disciple. He's the only married disciple. And, and he's well known for also one other thing. He denied Christ. How many times? Three times. He, he has that record that's on his, on his rap sheet. But listen to this. Look at, listen about his death. He was martyred by crucifixion sometime around the year 64 AD during the great fire in Rome under the rule of Emperor Nero. And tradition says he requested to be crucified upside down because he saw himself unworthy to die the same way that Jesus died. That's Peter. Crucified. Upside down. You can find his remains in St. Peter's Basilia in Rome right now. James. James is the elder brother of John. James and John were both known for having this intense passion and fervor. And Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. And listen to this. James was the first disciple to be martyred at the age of 94. And he was beheaded. And the only disciple to have their martyrdom recorded in scripture, you can read about it in Acts chapter 12. It's the only disciple you can read about his death. Then you have John. 
He's known as the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> he wrote a large portion of the New Testament. You find it in the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation as well that he wrote on Patmos. And, but you also, he has, has a brother named James. Later he becomes the Gospel writer. His name means Yahweh is gracious. Listen to this. He's the only apostle who, has, who died a natural death. The only apostle to die a natural death passing peacefully in his old age around the year 100 AD on Patmos in Greece. And he was part of the inner three circle. You know, Jesus had an inner three. You know who they were? This was like the executive team of the disciples. It was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were very tight with Jesus. And sometimes like in the mountain transfiguration, Jesus said, come with me. And Peter, James, and John went with Jesus. You see this tight circle with Jesus, it's Peter, James, and John. Then you have Andrew, fourth guy. His name means manly. I just have a vision that he could grow a beard or something. You know, just a just vision like that. He was the first to follow Jesus. He was the first to follow Jesus. His enthusiasm was evident. He had a deep love for God. Um, he died a martyr's death. He was crucified on an X-shaped cross. And he faced that crucifixion with boldness and courage. And his remains can be found at the cathedral in, in Amalfi, Italy right now. Mark chapter 1 talks about these guys. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets once at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. That was a family business they left. I want you to hear this by Frederick Buechner. The first ministers were the 12 disciples. There is no evidence that Jesus chose them because they are brighter or nicer than other people. Their sole qualification seems to have been their initial willingness to rise to their feet when Jesus said, follow me. That was it. They were just willing to follow him. It's really that simple. Philip, I love his name. You know what his name means? Fond of, of horses. Fond of horses. Legend has it that he was a chariot driver and he became a missionary to Greece and Syria and other places. Eventually, he traveled to the Egyptian city of Helopolis where he was whipped, thrown into prison, and then crucified around 54 AD. Crucified. His remains can be found in the Holy Apostle Basilica in Rome. Bartholomew. According to tradition, he preached in several countries, including India, and he translated the gospel for other believers in India. Trans translated the gospel of Matthew, specifically. Translated the gospel of Matthew. That's what Bartholomew did. He was beaten, crucified, and beheaded. He died as a martyr while serving the people of Armenia. His remains can be found in St. Bartholomew Church in Rome. Matthew, his name means a gift of God. Beautiful. He was a tax collector, the most despised of Israel. He wrote one of the four Gospels. He brought the Gospel to Ethiopia and Egypt. And according to tradition, the tax collector turned missionary was martyred in Ethiopia, where he was stabbed in the back by an assassin named, sent by King Hertakus after he criticized the king's morals. He was assassinated, and his remains can be found at the Cathedral of Salerno in Salerno, Italy today. 
Thomas, his Hebrew name means twin, and he, he has the unfortunate nickname of, what's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Could you imagine? I mean, something just sticking with you. I mean, you had a weak moment, and that weak moment becomes part of your nickname. He's, he's called the twin, but you never see in Scripture any mention, in the Bible at least, of his other twin. But we remember him for his doubt. But you should know this. He was an outspoken skeptic, courageous, loyal, devoted. And, and tradition strongly suggests that Thomas started the Christian church in India. Do you remember when, in Scripture, if you know your Scripture a little bit, when he, when he went and he saw Jesus and Jesus said, oh, you don't believe me, look at my hands, look at my feet. And do you remember what else he said? Remember Jesus said, put your... Put your hand on my, do you remember that? And that's what Jesus was speared on his, in his side. And, and, and that's what happened. Listen to this. According to the Syrian Christian tradition, St. Thomas was preaching at St. Thomas Mountain, Shanai, India, around the year 72 AD, when a group of angered, lo, angered locals martyred him with a spear, a spear ironically similar to Jesus being pierced by a spear. He died by a spear. James son of Alphaeus. He was arrested and led to the place of execution. What makes this really, I mean, all this is crazy, but the person who accused James of whatever crime ends up meeting with James in prison. He ends up converting to Christianity while he's with James in prison. And after that, He wanted to be executed alongside of James, the very accuser of James. Both men were beheaded simultaneously. Both men. Thaddeus, he's known as Jude, Judas, Lebius. He lived in obscurity as one of the 12, according to tradition, St. Jude Thaddeus was martyred around the year 65 AD in Beirut and his body filled with arrows. His remains can be found in St. Peter's Basilia in Italy. 11, Simon the Zealot. He was a political activist. A political activist. He was passionate about politics. One quote says this, it is amazing that Jesus would select a man like Simon to be an apostle, but he was a man of fierce loyalties. He was fiercely loyal, amazing passion, courage, and zeal. The fiery enthusiasm he once had for Israel was now expressed in his devotion to Christ. That beautiful. All that fire he had for being a political activist was shifted, and he was fiery, enthusiastic for Jesus. Simon went to England where he ended up being crucified in 74 AD, and his remains can be found at the altar of crucifixion in the Vatican City. And number 12, Judas. I got to read Mark 14, 10. says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. He gave Jesus three years of his life, but he never gave him his heart. Never gave him his heart. Betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You know how much 30 pieces of silver are worth today? Around $600. Later in Acts chapter one, he was replaced by another guy named Matthias. Judas committed suicide. That's how he died. He committed suicide. You know, when I look at these, 
these, um, these disciples, and I, I, I went through it really quickly here. But as I process these guys, I'm just telling you, I feel this big. I see the sacrifice. All of them died a martyr's death, beheaded and speared and stabbed and, and, and crucified and upside down and on a cross. And just all these deaths, with the exception of John, who died in a natural death in, on Patmos. But all of them, they had this, this um, they just sold out for Jesus. And, and I look at them, I was talking to Zach a little while ago, and I was telling him, I, I feel this big, like I, I can't even be in the room with these guys. I mean, I, I think about like, why, what makes us different from these 12? I'm talking about Matthias. What makes us different from these, these 12? And Alan Hirsch said it like this. He said, um, you can do more with 12 disciples than with 1,200 religious consumers. And I saw that quote and I thought, boy, there's more truth to that than I think that we want to admit. I think for churches across the world, maybe let's just stick to the U.S. We can just focus on that if that makes it easier. But many churches are not disciples. They're not disciples. We're consumers. We walk into a church experience and the thought is, well, what's in it for me? Uh, consumers judge themselves by, by their own intentions. That's what consumers done. Just in case you're wondering, I want to ask you that. Are you, are you a disciple or are you a religious consumer? Are you a disciple or are you a religious consumer? You see the disciples and the characteristics about them, and we're going to talk about them more later. But a religious consumer thinks about themselves. Consumers, um, they, they see themselves as followers, but they just never take action. They see themselves maybe even, I mean, as a, as a Christian, but they don't actually do things, but they can talk about things that they should be doing or what a Christian should be doing or what a church should be doing or how a church should be acting, but they just don't actually do things. You know what I mean? They'll criticize. They'll tell you what you're doing wrong. They'll tell you how you should be doing it. They'll tell you what they've seen in their past, but they just won't actually do it. Consumers see themselves as, you know what? I don't have to be a disciple for my whole life. Not my whole life. I did my time in Austin, Texas when I was a youth leader and Grace and I would not see each other Monday through Friday and I would see the student and we'd minister together. That was my time. I don't need to, I'm going to heaven. That's it. Consumers see themselves completely different from what other people see themselves. They're not involved. They criticize. They are focused on the past, not the present. They don't serve. And they've exempted themselves from many things. And in fact, many times they wait for ideal circumstances before they give. Wait for ideal circumstances before they serve. They wait for ideal circumstances before they sacrifice. You know when those ideal sacrifices come? Never. Never, because the circumstances are never ideal for them. They're consumers, and they're thinking this message would be really good for someone else to hear. Those are consumers, and I think Alan Hirsch is right. I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly believing that. God can do more with 12 disciples than 1,200 religious Consumers, which one are you? And let me just say this, if you're a religious consumer, 
Jesus needs you today. Jesus needs you today. Jesus needs you today. I'm going to say it online. Jesus needs you today. Jesus needs you today. Here at Thorn Creek, we want to raise disciples, guys. We want to raise disciples. We want to raise disciples. I think about um, um, Elizabeth Beery. Elizabeth Beery if you're in the house right now, she's to my left. She's in this room with someone else. I don't know, but she's, that sounds a little bit weird, but she's in there right now. And she's the video director here at Thorn Creek. This is her passion. This is what she does. She's the one who's calling all of the camera shots that you see online. That's, that's Elizabeth. She's calling all the camera shots that you see. And, and she decides what's on the screen. That's what she does. As a volunteer, that's what she does. You know how many hours she works every week? 60 hours a week. You know her only day off? Sunday. One day, Sunday's her only day off. She worked today. She worked today. She serves at least two services every weekend, sometimes three services every weekend. Yeah, put your hands together for that. And truth is, guys, we have other volunteers in kids ministry and guest relations and youth ministry and worship team. Um, but I, I just thought, I want to just brag about Elizabeth's dedication. When I talked to her, she's told me she loves what she's doing. Loves it. Sometimes I think when it comes to serving God, we think, you know what? Before I take that step to serve God, I need to know all the expectations. I need to understand the job description completely. I need to understand the time demands completely. I need to understand everything I need to do. I need to understand the pros and the cons of everything that needs to happen. And you know what? You're approaching like a religious consumer. You know what the disciples did? They dropped their nets and stood to their feet and they followed. I can only imagine them saying, hey, before we get going on this little trip with you here, Jesus, how long are we going to do this? And I typically like to stay at the Marriott. Typically, that's what I, just my lifestyle. I'm at a different stage of life, and that's kind of what I do. I have a bad back, so I really can't do a whole lot. I can't lift more than 20 pounds. I want you to know that. And I, I don't like running, and I really don't like crowds. I really don't like people. I'm more of an alone person. I like my space. I don't really want to do that. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, and I don't really want to do that, Jesus. But I'm in. I'm here to follow you, Jesus. I think they just said yes. I think they just said yes. Here's what I, when I look at these 12 disciples, there's three things that I see. First thing I see is this. They had a spirit of abandonment about them. They had a spirit of abandonment. David Platt said, we're settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves. When the central message of Christianity is about, actually about abandoning ourselves. Think about that. We've taken Christianity and we've made it about us. We've taken God and we'd say, God, okay, here's your job, God. You're to bless me, God. That's your job. 
We've taken the church and we've said, okay, church, I'll keep going as long as the music is like this and the preaching is like this and the child care is like this and the youth ministry is like this. As long as it's like this and I'm comfortable, I'm in. I'm in. The coffee needs to be really good. Don't give me lukewarm coffee. I need hot coffee. And make sure it's not Folgers. It better be good stuff because I'm used to Starbucks. I'm, it better be. I'm in. And we've, we've taken this approach that, you know what? Christianity is about me. When you look at the disciples, it was about them abandoning themselves. Mark chapter 1 verse 18 says, And they left their nets at once and followed him. That's what it did. They left their nets at once and followed him. Gosh, I've been out here like for 10 seconds waiting for you. He was, <clears throat> thank you, Pastor Nick. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Borrowed this net from a good friend. Any fishermen in the house? Anybody knows how to throw this thing? I grew up saltwater fishing. And there's a way to cast this net here, guys. And, and, and you, you, this is the yoke. You hold it up here and then you just slide this hand. I'm going to see if I can do this. But this net here, actually, it represented so much to these disciples. It was their way of life. It was all they knew. They knew the waters. Incidentally, in the Sea of Galilee, fishermen, tilapia. That's what they caught many times. It was tilapia. That's what, that's what they believed. It was tilapia. Tilapia is really good. So this was their, this was their knowledge. They understood it. Some of them, this was their business, their family business. And, and they knew how to cast. And, 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 and you kind of do something like this. I'm going to see if I can do it, guys. This has been a long time. And then you kind of do this number here. And they would stand on the edge of their boat. And they'd kind of do this number. And then they would, they would, they would do this. And this was their strong arm. I want to make sure I don't do it. So get ready here. This is what they do. They cast like this. Oh, that was a good cast. And then they would ring it back. They'd ring it back. I almost got you, Stephanie. They'd ring it back. And then you know what they would do is they would sort through the net. You guys have done this before. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you know what you're looking for? Okay, I need to take out all the trash, the throwaways, the stuff that I got, the shells and the small fish I don't need. And they would go through that and, and, they, and, and they would keep the good they would keep the good fish and they would keep doing it. Here's the irony about this whole thing is this is exactly what God is doing with humanity. It's the separation of sheep and goats. It's the wheat and tares. It's the same thing. And Jesus is calling them now to drop their nets and follow him. To drop their nets and follow him and give him their life. That's what he's calling them to do. Some of you need to drop your net. The only thing that's keeping you from going to your next level with God is you haven't dropped your net. Some of you, you're holding on to fear and worry. You got to have all the questions answered. I mean, whatever it is, and you're not experiencing a complete freedom in life because you haven't dropped your net. You're holding on to all these things. You're a religious consumer. And today, Jesus is saying, you got to cast your, you got to throw your net down and you just got to follow. The other thing I see about these disciples is this, they took action. Don't you love action people? I love action people. I love people who are willing to just jump in and figure it out with me. You know what I mean? 
It's like, let's work the problem together. Do you know the answer? No, I don't. Help me. <laughs> Just jump in. Let me give you some characteristics of a good fisherman. You got to be patient. Any fishermen in the house, you know what I'm talking about. You got to be patient because you could have your line in the water and nothing's happening and you just got to wait. You got to be patient. You got to be observant. You got to be aware of where the stream is running and what's, where's the inlet. You got to be aware of the terrain. You got to be aware of the environment. You got to be aware of the weather. You have to be aware of what's running. You have to be observant. You have to be determined, don't you? You spend four hours and you get one fish and that's a win. You know what I mean? Like I am not gonna leave until I catch that fish that's nibbling on my hook. You know what I mean? You gotta be determined. And then you know what, another good fish, another point of a good fisherman, you gotta be adventurous. You gotta be willing to go into the weeds. You gotta be willing to go to that place where you think nobody else is fishing. If you're out on the boat, you gotta be willing to go farther out. Sometimes you got to be willing to ride out the storm. You got to be adventurous. And the other thing is you have to be educated. You have to know what you're going after. Well, I want you to understand this. All of this stuff that the disciples, they were in fish training. They were learning to be a disciple. Because what God did was he took all of those characteristics that they had inside of them and they became fishers of men. They became fishers of men. And they said, you know what? I'm going to be determined. I'm going to meet that guy who's bent on everything. He's stubborn and he's going to hell and I'm going to keep working on him. I'm not going to give up on her. She lives in this dark place, but I want her to know the spirit of, of, of the Jesus Christ and, and I, I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to build that relationship. I'm going to work on that relationship. I'm going to lead them to Christ. I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to keep going after them. See, Jesus needs people who have those characteristics. And let me just say this. God has gifted you. You have unique spiritual gifts that you have not fully, fully embraced. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. You have passions that God has given you. You love certain things. You love doing certain things. You have natural abilities. You have your personality, the way you're wired. There's a reason why you're meticulous. There's a reason why you're a numbers person. There's a reason why you're relational. You are, you're, you're, your personality is just... And you have certain experiences as well, as well. Some of you have been through really, really, really hard stuff. Hard stuff. Walk away from faith stuff. And you're still walking with God. And these experiences have shaped your passions. Now, let me say this. All the things that you've been through and the way you're wired is not by accident. God needs you. God needs you. All of those things and your, your natural uh, giftings, you know what? It's not just to be used to pad up your checking account and savings account and retirement account. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that you use your gifts. You allow God to deploy those gifts and use them to build his kingdom. Verse 12 says this, So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And I love that verse because it says the disciples went 
out. They heard from Jesus, disciples, learners, students, and then what did they do? They became an apostle and they went out on a mission. You see that? They were a discipler and they heard and learned and then they became an apostle and they went out and they walked the streets, they knocked on doors, they did whatever was necessary. Here's our problem. It's easier to be a disciple than it is to be an apostle. And some of us are like, I'll just sit here at the feet of Jesus. I'll just keep going to church. I'm not going to do anything. I have all these exemptions for me. And God is saying, I need you. I need you. I need you. Does it bother you that you have neighbors who don't know Jesus? Does it bother you that you have people in your school that doesn't, don't know Jesus? Does it bother you that there's people who are out in the streets that don't know Jesus? I was just talking to someone recently. And they told me how they came to Thorn Creek Church. And they Googled us. And they came to church and uh, they were late for this service, the, the 9 o'clock a.m. service, the Sunday. And they left and they said, well, let's go to another church. And they really didn't want to go to another church, but it was late. So they went. And then th that service was too late. I forget what church it was, but it wasn't as good as us. But anyway, they, they came just being silly. Anyway, they came back and they said, well, it's too late. So they said, we're just going to get our nails done. And they were getting their nails done, and they happened to talk to some of our guest relations people in the front under the tent. And they said to them, we have another service. And they started coming. And they still come. And they kept coming, but it was because of our awesome guest relations people underneath the tent, in the very front, in the parking lot, just striking up conversation with anyone who's going into the liquor store or getting their nails done or going to Ace Hardware. They're just talking, just talking. You can, some of you have that gift. You're a talker. And you have the ability to make friends with people. Use that ability to lead people to Jesus. Make it your aim. You have someone in your life right now that you are working on to lead them to Jesus. What's his name? What's her name? Someone in your life, you're like, I'm going to keep praying for this person and I'm going to lead them. Francis Chan said this, lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. Isn't that good? Third thing, guys, is this. This is what I see in the disciples. They were willing to die for what they believed. No, really. No, Jesus is the only way, really. No, there's a heaven and no, no, there's a hell too. Yeah, no, this is real. No, no, you, you really need to know this. No, this is important. No, this is really the word of God. No, you don't understand. You really, no, it is a spiritual battle. You just don't know it. No, life is short. You just, no, you know what? The breath in your lungs is a gift from God. You just, you don't get it, do you? It's the grace of God that you're breathing. You don't get it yet, do you? It's the grace of God. They just recognize that it's this is true and it's worth dying for it's interesting when you see these disciples they all scattered they were in north africa and egypt and syria and and other places in india and 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 they were there spreading jesus telling others about jesus i gotta tell you about thomas because thomas I'm going to try to undo his reputation just a little bit. Shift from doubting Thomas. Here's another verse that's not talked about with Thomas very much. And here it is. 
Thomas, I know you're in heaven. I think you'll appreciate this. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Isn't that good? Thomas, yeah, he needed to be, you know, his faith, he just needed a little help, but he was also willing to die with Jesus. Let me say it this way about what you believe, because some of you believe certain things, and maybe you're online and you believe certain things. Let me say it like this. If you're not willing to die for what you believe, then it's not worth living for it. If you're not willing to die for it, then it's not worth living for it. You know that? What do you believe? Do you really believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you really believe Jesus wants you to follow him? Do you really believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you really believe in the holy teachings of Jesus, all of them? Do you really believe there's a heaven and there's a hell? Do you really believe that God has this plan of redemption through Christ? Do you really believe he wants all of you? Do you really, do you really believe that? If you're not willing to die for what you believe, then it's not worth living for it. Jesus, later on, he was talked about his true family because he had brothers and sisters. We don't know how many, but he had brothers and sisters. Contrary to the Catholic Church, Mary was not a virgin forever, okay? He had brothers and sisters. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus' mothers and brothers, there it is, mother, not mothers, but mother and brothers came to seek him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Glory to God. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Jesus was looking around at these disciples, and he's saying, I'll tell you who's my brother. I feel the same way. I've got brothers and sisters here at Thorn Creek Church. And I thank you for serving the Lord with me. I thank you. We're, we're doing our best to get stronger every week, guys. We really are doing our best to usher in the Spirit of God and to seek Him with all of our face and to be the church of today. We're really doing our best. We talk about that every week on how, what can we do better? What can we improve on? We need God's direction. We're seeking and We have this incredible future, guys. Incredible future. God's moving in a phenomenal way with the whole property stuff. It's amazing. None of it matters unless the Holy Spirit is with us and leading us. And, and we're doing our best to lift up Jesus. We're doing our very best, guys. And, and, we, and we need help. We need help. I, I'm wholeheartedly into this, guys. I'm wholeheartedly into this. I want to give you a link because I want to give you an opportunity to take an action step. <clears throat> if you go to thorncreek.church slash volunteer, you can start serving somewhere. Somewhere. So take a picture of that. Can you do that? Can you, you know, I know you know where your cell phone is, but take a picture of it and go to thorncreek.church slash volunteer and get started. And that'll ask you questions about what your giftings is and other things. Well, let's just start somewhere. Don't be a religious consumer. 
A religious consumer will look at the link and think about Chipotle or something. I want you to, God wants you to go to another level. Guys, I, I, I'm spent up here. I can, I can start crying if I just keep going here. I want to pray for you. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Oh, Lord, we desperately need you. We desperately need you. We desperately need you. Jesus, forgive us. Truth is, some of us haven't dropped our nets, and truth of us, truth is, some of us are religious consumers, and truth is, most of us, starting with me, not really, uh, can't really stand side, you know, shoulder to shoulder with these disciples. I pray, Lord, that you raise up disciples in this church. I pray that missionaries are born here in this church, missionaries to their school and neighborhoods and workplaces, and maybe even outside of the state and country. Would you just continue to make us stronger? We want to be your church, Jesus. So thank you for your grace and your love. If you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins, and I want to follow you like the disciples did. Make that your prayer. Others of you, maybe you're more like that religious consumer, and maybe your prayer needs to be, Jesus, forgive me. No more exemptions. Use me. I say yes. Thank you, God, for your good grace. Thank you for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.